Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. You're listening to The Leaf Report. Follow the guys on Twitter at Jonas Siegel and at Myrtle. We on fire! Step up in the party, step up in the party high. Hi, James. It is... I don't even know what day this is. The end of May? Almost? It's the 22nd. Mm-hmm. It's third. Don't know. Uh, okay, so we have some news to discuss. Welcome to the Leaf Report podcast brought to you by Bab Socks. James has his black Bab Socks on with the duster. Have you ever grown a mustache? Just like exclusively a mustache? No, but when you shave the beard, you just leave the mustache and you look at it and you're like, oh, maybe I could try this. And I, about 45 minutes later, you're like, no, I can't try this. I look creepy. Just, I don't know. I think you got to have like, you probably have to have a certain kind of face or something to pull it off. I think I've shaved my entire beard off since 10th grade, maybe twice. Wow. Yeah. Like it's never, that never happens. Anyway. So we have some news to discuss. Um... So Kyle Dubas is the general manager. Lula Morello is gone. He's now running the New York Islanders. Mark Hunter is gone. We don't know where yet. Where do you want to start with those three big whammies? Let's go with what happened today. Let's let's start with let's start with Mark Hunter. I mean, we don't know where he's going, but I think either there's some talk potentially he could join Lou with the Islanders. There's some talk that he could go to a team unknown or he mm-hmm. could just go back to London. But I think that the reason this is happening is that Kyle Dubas and Mark Hunter were never going to be aligned on some very important philosophical things like what kind of players to draft. And if you're the head scout of a team, that's something where you need to be aligned with your GM on. Well, and this is what we foresaw happening as a possibility if Kyle got the job that Mark Hunter wouldn't want to work for him and and maybe you know Kyle Dubas wouldn't want Mark Hunter being his head scout for exactly the reasons that you laid out do we know yet though um 
how effective Mark Hunter was in that job with the Leafs. Like, it, it seems like it's too soon to make that judgment. Um, you know, obviously, Travis Dermott's been a find. Mitch Marner was the fourth pick. He's been good, obviously. But do we have enough there to say Mark Hunter was someone you couldn't afford to lose? Or do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, I mean, it's it's really hard to evaluate, especially because we're talking about very recent drafts, right? Mm-hmm. I know some of the prospect guru guys aren't, like, like Scott Wheeler and Bronman, some of the guys working at The Athletic aren't super high on the way the Leafs have drafted the last two years. Um, what year was Keaton Middleton? Like, I... Some of these guys are are they're not even going to sign them. Like some of the picks that they made, and then they you know it's like a fourth round pick. Um, the deadline's coming up on June first, where you have to you have to either have signed them or they just become free agents. And then like some of these picks are just going to become free agents. So I suspect, and now I'm no prospect expert. I suspect we're going to look back at the last two slash three Leafs drafts and not be super impressed. There have been some good picks. Grunstrom looks like it's going to be a great pick. And obviously the, the first-round picks have been pretty good. Uh, you know, we like the looks of, of Dermot and, and taking Marner where they did was was smart. Janssen was one of his, I believe. No, Janssen would have was been. He, wasn't he 2015 or was he 2014? Andreas Janssen? I think he was going quite a ways back. But, a seven, well, I mean, if that was their pick, he was a seventh-rounder, right? Like, that would, that would have been a great pick. Um but I, I guess to answer your question, it's hard to evaluate what Mark Hunter did at the NHL level right now. And I guess we're not surprised by the dynamic. Um, I thought it was interesting at the press conference when they announced Dubis that Shanahan just came out and said exactly what we knew. But he said Mark Hunter wanted this job. Mark Hunter interviewed for this job. I can imagine you, you pulled up Johnson. He's 2013. Jeez. Oh, yeah. I think I I remember actually writing a story about him and Dave Morrison was still the head scout. And I remember Morrison saying he was like this guy who was skilled and he wasn't that big. But well, like Jans is going to be 24 years old this fall. Like he's he's been around a long time. So my brain, I guess, is just mush. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but I guess it's not surprising that someone like if. If you wanted the job and you're Mark Hunter and you don't get the job and the guy who's like this 32-year-old gets the job instead, I'm sure there's part of you that doesn't want to work in that situation, you know? I just The dynamic between those two didn't get talked about a lot, but there wasn't a close relationship there. There wasn't – like they weren't – they were rivals in the OHL. They were – I don't know if you can be rivals when you work in the same front office, but they were never going to be close. Well, wouldn't wouldn't it naturally be rivals? Like you're both basically wanting the same job. And they're they're very different people and they have very different ideas about the game and there's a whole bunch of reasons why. And and there's the age difference and there's the different experience they got. Mark Hunter played in the NHL. There's you know, Kyle Dubas is he's going to run into lots of I think resistance from different people in hockey and this is just one example of it and hmm. the the public uh face that the Leafs put on this that you know Lou Lamarillo mentored Kyle Dubas and Mark Hunter where the, they worked together to do the the one draft that they did together and like that's that's PR stuff you know people you know the the reality is is 
as soon as Kyle Dubas became the GM, those those two guys were going to leave, and that's what that's what's happened. That like that that was what was going to happen. Well, we predicted like that wasn't it wasn't like a crazy prediction, but like I wrote about some of their offseason questions right after the year ended. And that was one of the things. Like, if you're Brendan Shanahan, are you prepared to lose Mark Hunter? Are you prepared to lose Lamorello? Because if you hire Kyle Dubas, that was probably going to happen. I think that, like, it, it kind of still shows how bold... Like, I mean, we all expected that, that Dubas would probably be the guy, but it's still a bold move for Shanahan to make because he's basically saying, you're that important. Kyle Dubas is that important to be the general manager that I'm willing to risk... Not risk. I'm willing to lose Lou Lamorello, who's the the guy I've known for 30 years, and I'm willing to lose Mark Hunter, who's the guy who I brought in to like head the scouting department. That's 100 percent what, what Shanahan believes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's and and it just tells you how important he feels Dubas is and how good he feels Dubas can be. Obviously, right. right. And it's a lot of pressure on Kyle Dubas now. That the thing that I think people need to keep in mind too is that we can't fully evaluate the Leafs front office before we know who's in the front office. Mm-hmm. People are going to replace Mark Hunter and Lou Lamorello. It'll be interesting who those people are. And I mean, it's possible that they get really, really good assistant GM candidates to come in that can really lift up what Kyle Dubas can do and can fill in some of maybe the experience gaps or the knowledge gaps that he doesn't have. Well, Ron Francis? Ron Francis is, who's from the Sioux, like... Kyle Dubas, and I'm told they're really, really close. And Ron Francis obviously has been fired from the Carolina Hurricanes. The debate if they hire Ron Francis, which I I think they're going to hire Ron Francis, the debate if he is hired is going to be, well, Carolina didn't make the playoffs and X, Y, Z. I mean, you talk to people around the league about the job that Ron Francis did. He was dealing with uh, a payroll that was $20 million under the cap and mm-hmm. a bad ownership situation. And, and uh, he was put in a position where... They were trying to do a real... They had to. I mean, given what their budget situation was, they had to go the draft develop route. Mm-hmm. And you look at the, all the good young players that they have in Carolina, and I think he did a pretty good job of that. Well, and he was trying to be really patient and do it right and build it like... I think he and had I, to. And, right. And, well, and, and what it makes me think of um, okay. is... No, it makes me think of actually, you know, Kyle Dubas running the Greyhounds. Like, he basically had to operate under the same situation. And we know that Ron Francis, you know, embraced analytics, was into seeing that as a way to exploit kind of margins and he didn't obviously with new ownership he wasn't going to like fast forward the process and i guess the the one big swing he made uh for scott darling didn't work but like i don't know you can pick apart any general manager's record so like he would be the kind of guy you think would be good as kind of like a veteran kind of sounding board yeah no i think so yeah the question is who takes over the draft side of things is that huh. would that be something that or maybe you just hire a more, a more traditional like a dave morrison not dave morrison but like someone who just runs the draft whereas mark hunter was doing more than just the draft um and and uh ron francis takes on assistant gm and does more of of that maybe maybe he i don't know someone has to oversee the marley's you know someone has to take what what mm-hmm. kyle do is i I mean, like we're just spitballing here and we're trying to guess. My guess is that the front office could see someone like Brandon Pritton promoted and Ron Francis joins, and then maybe they bring in someone to take uh, a lower-level position. That mm-hmm. that That is my guess, reading the tea leaves of what might happen. Okay, we haven't talked about the other big part of this, and that's obviously Lou Lamorello. Um, 
I don't know where to start with him because like his tenure, he was here for three years. Um, what sticks out like most when you think about like what he did in Toronto, how he he fared uh, as GM? Because it's like it's 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 such a weird tenure that he had in some ways. You know what? I think he kind of helped his legacy a little bit, given mm-hmm. that if he would have went out the way that he did in New Jersey, where he was forced out, where the team was not competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, where their their draft record had been really poor for quite some time, he had signed a lot of bad contracts. Then maybe we would be, and then he comes here and to Toronto and he does some good things. I remember you and I were a little bit skeptical about Lamorella being the GM in Toronto just because of how things had gone in New Jersey for the previous whatever. It was like no one else seemed to recognize that he had for eight years the team had been basically bad, save for that one final appearance. Yeah, and then they didn't. They weren't building to the future at all. Like they uh-huh. really weren't drafting and developing really well. They really weren't. They were going after mediocre free agents and giving them lots of money. It was like they just kept trying to hang on and hang on and hang on and mm-hmm. win now, win now, win now, and mortgage the future of the franchise. And Ratio's done a really good job to kind of pull them out of the abyss a little bit. But they looked directionless for a long time there. Yep. Um, but. I think what we saw was that Lou Lamorello, what his strengths were. You know, he's he's a good deal maker. He, he's uh, he's extremely experienced with kind of the ebbs and flows of how the league works. Like he he was he knew that you would try and beat the trade deadline because then you're you're kind of in the driver's seat instead of waiting to the last minute. Um, that one trade deadline when he's you know was moving out Dion Phaneuf and all of the picks that he got back. He's that's why I think he might be a fit for the Islanders because, especially if John Tavares leaves, that's going to be somewhat of a tear down there and a restart for that franchise. And I think mm-hmm. that Lou Lamorello is better positioned to as kind of like a a turnaround artist or whatever you want to call it, as opposed to. I think that this build up phase where you need to sign young players to big contracts, you need to make complicated trades. I would be less confident in having Lamorello in that role, which is exactly why you make the trade. I don't know if I totally buy into the whole deal maker thing. I think he was super conventional. I think if you look at like the stuff that he did, the the Dion Phaneuf deal, I think obviously he deserves huge credit for. That's not super conventional that trade. No, that's not and and especially not taking any salary back. Like I don't know I don't know if a younger GM, less experienced, I don't know any of that stuff. Like it's impossible to prove. But like his 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 summers were conventional. Like he signs Ron Hainsey and Dominic Moore and like Marlowe, which isn't super conventional, but sort of is. His trade deadlines, he you know basically just went out. Aside from that one you mentioned, he trades for Brian Boyle, second round pick. He trades for Thomas Placanet, second round pick. Like he didn't do anything. And this is why he he's not the GM in part. He wasn't the guy, like you said, to do anything outside the box and really propel them forward. And maybe, you know, maybe what I underestimated at the time is maybe Shanahan saw that. Like maybe Shanahan looked at this face and said, we just need someone to oversee the, the kingdom a little bit, turn the culture around. And then, you know, after Kyle Dubas or Mark Hunter has had some experience in the NHL for office, then get those guys to take it up a level. Yeah, I think that that makes sense. And I think that... I think it's the right decision. I mean, things may go wrong here for the Leafs, but I think if they left Lou Lamorello in as the GM and you continue to just make conventional decisions, that they might put themselves in a corner when, mm-hmm. the, when the cap situation gets really bad in a year or two. I mean, they're, 
this season, this summer is okay and that they've got a lot of cap space, but it makes sense to have the person who's going to be driving the organization forward for the next five years is 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 making those decisions on what to do with all that cap space this summer because it's really, really important. Well, this is the most important summer. Yeah. Like, this is when everything happens, it is. basically. Yeah. You're going to sign most of the big contracts to the kids. You're going to... Yeah. They, they, they need to have a plan, not just for this coming season, but they need to have a plan for the next two, three, four years with their salary cap structure. And hmm. they need to decide on things like Jake Gardner. They need to decide how they're going to fix the blue line, all of those kinds of things. And I think one of the real advantages potentially that Kyle Dubas can have for the Leafs is he can find some undervalued players the same way that, that maybe, I don't know, Vegas or, or Tampa, or they need to find the Yanni Gords and they need to find the Colin Millers and Nate Schmitz on the blue line. They need, they need to, because they're going to be up against the cap and because it's so hard to get, I mean, it's one thing to go sign John Carlson for $8 million a year or sign mm-hmm. uh, Drew Doughty for 13 or $12 million a year. Right, right, you and me could do that. Yeah, anyone could, exactly. Anyone could do that. And those decisions are going to put you in a really complicated cap situation where you're going to lose other pieces. Mm-hmm. So I think that being conventional in the situation the Leafs are in could be... It could it could get you stuck like where the Minnesota Wild and the Columbus Blue Jackets are. It could get you stuck as being kind of just like a, a good team that makes the playoffs but isn't really going to win a championship. Well, and this is like a perfect segue into Kyle Dubas being GM because we haven't really talked about it. And I think that's exactly like you've hit on exactly why he's the guy. He's someone who's younger, who's more progressive, who's going to think outside the box and, and kind of not be afraid to be unconventional. Like maybe he's the guy who... Go, goes out and signs Jacob Trouba to an offer sheet, but then knows like the ramifications. Okay, if I lose a first, a second, and a third, you know what I mean? Like there's all these little permutations of, of one move to the other. He also is like a big baseball guy, obviously. And in baseball, like guys like him are kind of ahead of the curve. And so they're finding ways NBA to... NBA too. NBA, like find value where other people aren't looking for it. Like he spoke at it, like he mentioned it really briefly at his press conference, finding inefficiencies. So like finding people like you mentioned who haven't been properly valued. Um, Is there anything like about his personality um, that gives you a window into how he would make any of those decisions? Like, is there anything like you know about him? Yeah. He's not going to be afraid to be different. That's, that's what I know. In fact, I think he wants to be different. I think he wants to push the envelope. And I'm I'm sure that is kind of terrifying to some Leafs fans. There's there's certainly an element of uncertainty about this. Mm-hmm. That if Kyle Dubas comes in, he hasn't been an NHL GM before, he tries to do things very differently, what if it doesn't work? And I think that that's a fair question. I mean, I don't think you and I know the answer of whether it's going to work or not. And that's what he's going to be evaluated on, mm-hmm. is, is whether or not it's fine to say... You know, he's visionary and he's going to try different things and he's going to do different things. But, you know, the bottom line is that it's going to have to work. Well, and if you look back like his first season with the Greyhounds, he makes this humongous trade for Jack Campbell. I think they gave up nine assets, like six draft picks and three players. And it it didn't work. Like Campbell wasn't that good. They missed the playoffs. Um, He eventually fired Mike Stapleton. They changed to Sheldon Keefe and then they became like a different team. But it was like that was... He was swinging big. Um, how do you expect like the, the type of players that they go after to be different under him? 
like are we looking now just a further furthering of speed and skill and away from maybe some of these older school types i think so you talk to people about those sioux teams that he had and they very much wanted a very hyper skilled fourth line and that maybe that's not as different as it would have been if he would have come in two years ago because like the Leafs were already running Janssen and Kapanen on the fourth line a little bit at the end of the year and yeah but like let's let's remember in January Matt Martin was playing every night and Leo Komarov was on the second line and so that's yes yes Kyle Dubas believes in running four skilled lines having defensemen that are skilled and that can move the puck I would imagine that the Leafs probably get smaller and more skilled because that's probably that is still an efficiency in the NHL. I mean, if you look at, I, I did a thing on small defensemen. Yep, I was just going to bring that up. Yep. Yeah, I did. I wrote a story about small defensemen, and I looked at all the all of the NHL defensemen um, in in the league, and taller defensemen are drafted earlier. You know, the, the, mm-hmm. the taller defensemen that make it to the NHL are picked much earlier, and there's there's a real slope there on it. Um, not very many defensemen six feet tall or shorter are picked in the first round they're just like it's still not happening so if you can find those those kind of like ryan ellis is a good example ryan ellis well actually no ryan ellis was actually picked uh i think he was 11th or something like that but but that's an example of of an outlier where almost no small defensemen are picked like that and nashville's a team that has picked up on that inefficiency Hmm. and drafted small defensemen like sam gerrard who they they traded to colorado yeah um, well, Tampa's another example. Like yeah. They went the Russian route where teams were like right. go- going against Russians. Right. Yeah, teams were afraid to pick Russians because they felt like they weren't going to come over. So there was a real conservative. And, and they were able to get Vasilevsky a lot later than they probably should have been. Like I remember with the Vasilevsky draft, everyone was saying this is like could be the best Russian goalie since like Tretiak. Like this could be mm-hmm. like one of the best Russian goalies ever. Uh, and he, I think he went 30th. I think he went the last pick in the first round. And Tampa was the only one that was willing to to deal uh, or waste a waste quote-unquote a first-round pick on him and then lo and behold he's their starting goalie within a few Mm -hmm. years and he's really really good and he could potentially win them a Stanley Cup well and I think the avenue you mentioned and I remember Justin Bourne tweeted something like about Vegas and I think he wrote he know he wrote a story about it basically what other teams can learn from Vegas and I think the point you made of of finding guys in situations um that will flourish with more opportunity Mm -hmm. that seems like an obvious way that the Leafs under Dubas might be able to take some advantage. Yeah, I mean, that's what he's. That's what Kyle Dubas is going to try and do. I mean, it's going to be fascinating. I mean, sort of, as someone that enjoys writing about the NHL and kind of like the way that roster building works and the way that salary cap works and all, I think that this is going to be such a fascinating case study of mm-hmm. someone who, with a di- really different mindset, coming into a league that doesn't have a lot of people like that. Uh, with an opportunity with a really good team to try and take it to the next level. And Hmm. it'll be fascinating. I mean, if it works, if he's able to find a bunch of undervalued players and put them in to fill around the pieces that they've got, the Matthews and Nealon, can you imagine how, like, potentially this team could be really, really good? Well, and and I'm just thinking, like, as you're talking of, like, Theo Epstein, um, obviously first with the Red Sox, but then with the Cubs and like he changed the way that they looked at the draft. Like I, I'm trying to remember exactly, but I think he said, you know what, we're not going to take these college players or take college starting pitchers. I think it was we're going to take these guys, these hitters out of high school because they have more potential 
to be like stars and it, it worked out, but it was like kind of against the grain of thinking a little bit. And to me, like, I think Dubas will kind of go in that similar direction where he'll, he'll maybe go against the curve or the, the conventional thinking. I'm sure he will. I'm sure this, and the, now that Mark Hunter is gone, I mean, I thought he was going to go anyway, but this draft is going to be Kyle Dubas's draft. It's going to be, you know, the, the tough part is that, they've been relying on Mark Hunter and Mark Hunter's scouts to a certain extent, but Kyle Dubas is going to try and really put his mark on the team in, in a lot of different ways this summer, but the draft is going to be one of them for sure. I mean, he's, he's a guy that was a former scout, a former, uh, OHL GM, you know, and he's, he's going to try and pick the kind of players that he wants in the draft. And I think it was, um, you know, if you watched the OHL final against Hamilton, you know, there was still some remnants of, of Dubas players on yep. on that roster. Well, and, and I think it was in 2014. Actually, 2014? No, it would have been 2015. When does Mark Hunter join? After the draft in 2015, I think it is. I think. I think that's what it is. Because Kyle Dubas's first draft would have been 2015. I think. Um, basically, what I'm getting at is I think there was like a video that came out uh, something with the Blue Jackets, I think it came out, where it came out that, that Dubis or the Leafs wanted to trade down and get more picks. And I feel like that's the kind of thing... Well, that he did it, do that. Right, they did in do Florida, that. In Florida in 2015, right. he did that a couple of times. Right, and I think there was they were going to do it even... I that's think there was they got, one... They got Dermot and Bracco with trading. But I think there was even... There might have been even one more... I'm trying to remember which one it was. Maybe it was maybe it was with the top five pick. I can't remember. Did this come out? I'm not sure if this came out. Well, that's interesting because I've heard there was a lot of talk about did they want Marner or Hannafin, and I've heard that Wierenski was a guy that they they think, they liked as well. I think that's what it was that they would have traded down from Marner if Marner like if Mar I think if Marner wasn't there or something like that well, they would have could have taken Marner right Arizona could have taken Marner and I think they would have traded down. And yep. just gotten one of the defensemen instead. Well, Provorov was there at seven, right? Like that was a, like a right. Really, and they, I think they would have traded down and gotten like Provorov or Rensky, who are awesome. Yeah, but that's the kind of like that is the kind of thinking that like I I remember writing about Dubis after it happened and writing about Steve Eiserman and I think I called it like I don't know if it ended up in the story, but I called it like jujitsu, <laughs> where it's like Eiserman. It's like he's not just thinking like of the next step. It's like two or three steps down the road, and I think that's what Kyle Dubas can do. Like Eiserman doesn't just trade Juran for Sergachev because he's able to trade Juran for Sergachev. Like suddenly he's got a spot to keep Nemestikov. And I think then we talked about this in the last podcast. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But I, but if there's any team or front office I would emulate right now, it's even though they haven't yet won, they potentially could win the cup this year. It would be Tampa. I think that Tampa. Just with the amount of smart decisions they've made, Ben Bishop and Duran and like Well, and that's a good Ben Bishop's to... a really good example of the kind of thing that you wrote about at mid season, where it's like they looked obviously they were going through a tough year, but they traded Ben Bishop, their starter, in the middle of a, a year where they're still trying to make the playoffs because they're like, he's not going to be our guy. We're going to transition in Andre Vasilevsky. And maybe this past year, if Kyle Dubas is in charge, they look at James Van Riemsdyk and they say, we're not signing this guy. Let's get an asset yeah. for him. Let's plug Andreas Janssen in and let's move forward. Right. Well, and like he, you know, Dubas could do, I mean, I could foresee him doing something like that with Freddie Anderson. I mean, maybe they give Freddie Anderson another year and they decide that, this guy's not worth five million compared to another goalie we can get for three. Or I, I don't know. Like, yeah, it it's just I think that the 
there are a lot more outside the box things that could be attempted. And if if it works, everyone's going to be talking about Kyle Dubas in in one light. And if it doesn't work, it's going to be it's going to be potentially ugly. But mm-hmm. I think that trying to be ahead of the curve makes a lot of sense. And I think that and I think Brendan Shanahan can see that. I mean, Brendan Shanahan knows Steve Eiserman. He knows he knows that they're not winning by just being conventional. Right. I think um, we haven't, we'll have a couple more things to hit on, but you've got your Bab socks on. I think that one of the interesting things that we won't be privy to exactly, but we will get to see it in some of the decisions that are made, is like how it works now with Kyle Dubas and Mike Babcock. Because we know Mike Babcock is a really strong personality. We know the types of players that he is especially fond of. We also have an inkling to believe that those players maybe not are are maybe not what Kyle Dubas would want for the Leafs for example Nikita Zaitsev Roman Polak Matt Martin how do you think like that dynamic will work between Dubas and Babcock I think that there's going to be friction and I think that there's going to be maybe not it may not be something that gets out publicly um, and it may be something that they can coexist for a while but the funny thing with covering Babcock that you see a lot more than just viewing him more from afar, like he's he's so brutally honest that he almost like can't help himself but tell you what he thinks. Kind of if you like pay attention and you read between the lines, and you can always tell who he likes and you can tell who he doesn't like right. very easily. He doesn't like he doesn't sugarcoat what how he feels very well. So I wonder if. Like, this is just being extreme, but let's say they get to training camp and all of the big real men or whatever, that the, the kind of guys that, that Babcock likes, like, you know, Uncle Leo's gone and Polak's gone. And, you know, let's say that maybe Dubas trades another piece that, that he really likes. Let's, I'm just speculating. Maybe maybe Dubas trades Hainsey or Zaitsev or Patrick Marlowe or whatever. Like, I'm, I'm just speculating. I'm not saying that's gonna, what's going to happen. Let's say that, that he does that. Let's say he's thinking outside the box and... He thinks Hainsey isn't a good possession defenseman. Let's trade him. I can envision a scenario where, like in preseason, Babcock saying like, "Oh, well, we really, we really missing a veteran yeah. PK guy that you know, whatever, right?" Like there, there will be references yep. to that. So, yeah, that's actually a really. There good will point. be like digs on on what the roster is missing if there's adversity that he feels was caused by some of the changes that are made. But you know what? It's not a like you mentioned friction. Friction's not bad. Like friction is is it's good to have someone pushing back both ways. Well, I think it's good with Babcock because he's such a big personality. Like I think it's good that the players are pushing back in like some of what we heard from that Austin Matthews stuff is just it's a little bit of a pushback from the team star player. And I think it's good if the GM pushes back on Babcock as well. You don't want you don't want just a bulldog as the coach influencing who you're acquiring and influencing i just think it's good to have some some checks and balances on on someone like mike babcock well in in detroit ken holm was known for obviously being that guy being someone who had the presence and the credibility to be like yeah, yeah like no i'm not doing that because coaches like in the heat of the moment i get rid of this guy like i they're just naturally um going on adrenaline and all that stuff um, but it'll become clear, like when those types of players are just not here. Like if they don't sign Roman Polak, if they don't sign Leo Komarov. Um, but I think that maybe they, maybe they do. I think that there there are 
Like, I, I don't know this for a fact, but I bet you Martin Marincin, that trade for him, they gave up a fourth-round pick and brought in Martin Marincin. I bet you that was Kyle Dubas-driven. That like He's very much an analytics kind of player. Mm-hmm. And Mike Babcock bought in on the Martin Marincin stuff. I mean, he played him in big minutes. Remember when after they acquired him? He 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 gave him a lot of chances. And, yep. he, and he, Mike Babcock, gave us the party line on Martin Marincin that, you know, that big guy with a big stick and whatever, he can kill penalties and mm-hmm. um it's not out of the question that they have more of those kind of marinchin ish experiments where they test they're looking for undervalued guys so yeah i could see like babcock has time for analytics he's not that's one of the big misconceptions that, that's out there he is not he looks at against it. this stuff he just views it as a tool he's, i think he's had some fun with it he, for sure well he's I think that his frustra- some of it is counterproductive. His frustration with it is that it gets overused, kind of in the public eye, mm-hmm. a, a little bit, and and misused and without context and things like that. But he's looking at it. I mean, the thing is that that where uh, Mike Babcock and and Kyle Dubas will align, they both just want to win. They both just want to win. So I think that if Babcock sees what Dubas is doing is working, mm-hmm. then he will be much more likely to align with it. Right. Um, let's quickly get to the, the signings that they made. Um, Game-changing, franchise-altering yes. signings. So I, I, I think we'll... pronounce all of their names? Yeah, but I think we'll, we'll just get to the two guys who could play for the Leafs this year. Parlin Tom and... I can't pronounce his last name. Ozaganov. Ozaganov. Igor Ozaganov. Yeah. Is that how the is that how the agent was saying? Ozaganov. Ozaganov, I think is how you say it. That's kind of a cool name. I like that. Yeah. We do not know, obviously, if either of these guys will end up playing for the Leafs. Um but well, let's put a percentage on it. What okay, what percentage chance would you give Lindholm playing more than twenty games in the NHL next season? Thirty-five percent, forty percent. What do you think? Yeah, that's probably about because, and, like, and what about Ozhiganov? I would say less. Ten. Yeah, I think Lindholm has more of a chance of being kind of like a twelfth, thirteenth forward, fourth line center. It's hard for us to know who else they're going to acquire for that. Fourth well, line because center if you, spot. well, we're but, guessing, right? But there's like ramifications. Like if you sign Tavares. It changes like your your picture at center ice. You know what's funny is if you sign Tavares and you keep Kadri, and obviously you're going to keep Matthews, and all three of those guys are going to play 18 plus minutes, right? And some of them are going to play 20 minutes. There's only six minutes left at center ice for the rest. Like whoever the fourth line center is isn't going to play. Yeah, but that's not true. Like Kadri would play 15, 16 minutes. Tavares would, yeah, there wouldn't be a lot. There would be like six or seven minutes. So like you don't need. Like, talk about inefficiencies. You don't need to spend anything on that fourth-line center. Right. I guess when you look at those two positions, they're just positions of need. Like, they don't yeah. have a fourth-line center internally. Frederick Goche, I think that ship has sailed, or at least I believe it should have. Um, and then Oljaganov, I'm getting good at that. The only way, like, he he, he makes it, in, I guess, it, we don't know if, like, they trade Zaitsev. Obviously, that changes the dynamic. If they trade Hainsey, that changes the dynamic. If they sign Carlson... They, that changes the dynamic. So we can't really know if he's going to make it. Um, he didn't play a ton for his KHL team this past year. The coach, from what we understand, wasn't a big fan. And these don't work all the time. Like, most of the time they don't work when you're going into Europe and you're just trying to find these guys who are 
undrafted. They're both they both got entry level contracts. There's like zero risk for the Leafs. They can be sent to the Marlies with no penalty. They also have the European right. exit clauses in their contracts, which means that they can go back to Europe if mm-hmm. they like. It's, if they don't make the NHL team, they can go back to Europe. So, right, it's just like a low risk. And maybe like it's low risk, and if it works, it works, and if it doesn't, you're just like, all right, whatever, it's one year. Right. It's like Callie Rosen. Is anyone going to be talking about Callie Rosen? No. And and Borgman was another guy they signed same time. Maybe Borgman works. Maybe Rosen doesn't. Maybe neither one. Borgman was younger at least. Borgman's like yeah. Borgman's twenty two. Right. Whereas Ozaganov and and Lindholm are both twenty five. One of them might be twenty six. Yeah. That's like. They kind of are what they are. They're going to come to training camp. They're going to. It, it. It's kind of. You know what it is. It's kind of insurance for the Leafs. Like, let's say that they don't get a big center to come in, and they need mm-hmm. to play Nylander. Like, they need some more depth there. Or what if they have an injury, and then they need people to play higher in the lineup? Well, they don't have same, any right shots. Same with right defense. You yeah. mean? Uh, but is Lindholm a right shot center? I think he's a. No, left. no, no. Sorry, I mean right shot defense. Right. 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 They need right shot centermen as well. With Bozak leaving, but but Lindholm isn't one. But yeah, so it was again a like. Let's say they go in and they're still relatively thin on right defense. They don't get Carlson and whatever. And then there's an injury and then they're even thinner. And then they, you know, maybe they need a guy like this that's yeah. played in the KHL and has played minutes and that can play 12 to 14 minutes for them when they're, they have someone's out with an injury for 20 games. Like right. having as much depth as you can get mm-hmm. isn't really a problem. And same thing with Lindholm, right? Beyond, like, even if he doesn't make the team, now he's just another option in case you do have holes at center, which we saw this year was a big problem for them. When they had injuries, they didn't have enough guys. So, And the, Le- and the Leafs didn't have a ton of injuries. So, like, it's it's plausible that next year they might have a lot more. They had more than the year before. Right. So, But you just never know. So it's just, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I, I, I think that looking at their kind of stat profile and the videos of them and whatever, I think Lindholm has a better chance to stick as a fourth-line center than Ojeganov does, but... <laughs> they're just their depth their depth mm-hmm. okay anything else you want to say before we wrap up um, no no <laughs> anyway we're working on some stories that will come out soon for the athletics so stay tuned for those yeah get some bab socks sorry it's been a little bit thin on on the site but we've been working on some bigger picture stuff so tbd stay tuned thanks for listening Thanks for tuning in to The Leaf Report. Follow the guys on Twitter at Jonas Siegel and at Myrtle.